0: crash to the floor. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Business and Finance here on Radio 3 in the forum of Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. China is reportedly drafting some plans for land reform, which will be announced soon. Asian markets rise as BHP beats estimates. And billionaire George Soros has doubled his bearish bet on the S&P 500. Also, the new Italian prime minister launches an aggressive plan for reform. And gold pushes even higher in its year-to-date rally. And consider this headline in the Times. In London, borrowers told to prepare for interest rate rise. And that was referring to comments from the Bank of England monetary policy member David Miles. And here's one uh, quote We do have, you know, if you will, as a last line of defense,
0: the blunt instrument, the big stick of moving interest rates.
1: But that was really for
0: the future. Here's the gist of what he said. We think we've got uh, a fairly material amount of slack in the economy, and that's why we feel pretty confident
1: at the moment that the right strategy
0: is not to tighten policy right now.
1: Uh, so a little bit different from the headline, and we'll try to explain later. Big day for Hong Kong stocks yesterday. In fact, all throughout Asia, and the rally did continue around the world. But will the trend continue? We'll talk with Andrew Sullivan of Maybank kimeng Securities in just a few moments. Then Peter Church, House of Asia Hard Assets, will be with us. We'll be talking about the success of Hong Kong stamp duties. How successful have they been, and from whose perspective? And when we might see a policy change. What are the conditions that might uh, lead to a policy change? By government, And then finally, we'll take a look at what to expect in Hong Kong's budget for the next financial year. We'll be talking with Marcellus Wong, a senior advisor at PwC in Hong Kong. He'll join us for that discussion. And we'll get you the latest on uh, Asian markets here in, in just a moment. The China loans data really put a bid under markets. Um, Asian bourses are higher. Uh, Europe was firm overnight. The MSCI All Country World Index up for a ninth day, adding 03 Italy's 10-year yield fell to 3.61%. That is an eight-year low for the yield on the 10-year in Italy. So that obviously implies that conditions seem to be getting better. Investors feel more comfortable in buying that paper. Well, Matteo Renzi was picked to form a government in Italy, and he unveiled a series of reforms. EU Commissioner Ali Ren said that he's confident about the new path in Italy.
0: I'm confident that uh, the Italian democratic institutions uh, will uh, facilitate uh, a smooth formation of uh, a new government uh, and uh, I'm confident that uh, the new government will aim at uh, tackling the problems of uh, economic competitiveness of, uh, of Italy and of uh, the high level of public debt uh, and uh, I trust that uh, the Italian government will continue to pursue economic reforms uh, and uh, Maintain a consistent uh, line in uh, fiscal consolidation.
1: Mr. Renzi is working on building a parliamentary majority after outlining a 100-day legislative program. In terms of overall conditions in Europe, Dutch finance minister Jerome Disselbloem said that Europe is getting back on its feet.
2: The economic outlook uh, of the euro area is improving. Euro area real GDP growth is picking up in recent quarters and economic activity is expected to continue recovering. The euro area has so far uh, also shown resilience
1: as far as their recent emerging markets economies turmoil is concerned. Spain's ten-year yield touched 3.51%, also the lowest rate since 2006. Yields on similar maturity Portuguese debt reached 4.82%, and that was the lowest since June of 2010. And as I mentioned, we see markets rising in Asia. The Nikkei up 169 points. That's a 1.2% gain. Australia is just a tick higher, and in in Seoul, the Kospi is up a couple of points at 1949. Let's scan currencies for you now. The dollar is trading at 102.15 yen, so the dollar firmer against the yen. That puts a little more risk-on environment in the picture. And the euro is trading at 1.3704, so the euro up against the dollar. And the pound, yesterday we told you it was at 13 even, today 12.96 Hong Kong dollars. Gold, up $11.30, $1,330.30. So that is quite a rally that we've had since the 3rd of January, from about 11.80 to that figure I just gave you, 13.30. OK, we'll bring in our guests in just a moment. Uh, but, but first, I wanted to go back to the Bank of England and that uh, policy, uh, monetary policy making committee member, David Miles. Um, he said that inflation in the country is on target. Right now, we're in a, a rather good position in the sense that inflation is
0: at the target level. But we think we've got a fairly material amount of slack in the economy and that's why we feel pretty confident at the moment that the right strategy is not to tighten policy right now to let the recovery use up some of that slack uh, and perhaps rather gradually get back to what you might call a, a, a more normal level of interest rates. But the guiding principle, which is really the remit we're given by the government, what we're trying to do remains the inflation target. So that's at the
1: heart of what we do. So that really doesn't sound like that Times uh, headline, which was a Bank of England rate setter has warned borrowers to start anticipating the impact of a rise in interest rates. Of course, you could say that, I suppose, to people just generally that they should be thinking about the impact when it comes. He was asked, with inflation low at the moment, was there any chance that they might adjust rates?
0: Well, I think the crucial thing is perhaps not so much where inflation is right now. It's where, the, where our, our expectations are as to where it might be a year, 18 months, two years down the road. Because when you move monetary policy, it probably has its main impact on inflation, not within a few months, but within you know, 12, 18, 24 months at, And and beyond. So I think the crucial factor for us will be where does it look like the inflation pressures are going? Where does it look like inflation might be 12, 18, 36 months down the road?
1: David Miles. And uh, just this final note before we get to our guests, filings by the legendary investor George Soros show that he, his firm, has increased a put position on the S&P 500 ETF. He increased his bearish bet by 154% in the fourth quarter compared with the third. The value of that holding has risen to $1.3 billion from $470 million. Joined now by Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales and Trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Brad. Wow, what does George Soros know that the rest of us don't?
3: Well, it's interesting at the moment. I think I mean I think a lot of people as we certainly you know we've had earnings coming through which haven't been that impressive. Uh, Hong Kong certainly is just just about to kick off the earnings season. So I mean I think he's just taking a bet.
1: Yeah, probably um, wise in that, you know, we had a 30% gain last year and uh, now we've pushed pushed back up towards the high. So maybe this is a short term bet. Who knows? As for Hong Kong, we have seen a rather nice pickup here. It just seems that that uh, loan data in China that was announced on Saturday really juiced up the market here yesterday.
3: Well, yes, I mean, I think, I think it really just allayed some fears that uh, the slowdown in China, which we might have seen from some of the earlier data, uh, it just shows actually the government isn't going to let growth slow down probably much below 7.5%. And I think that's probably key because we've got the, 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 uh, the National Congress meeting coming up in March. Uh, and obviously the, the Premier there wants to set a good backdrop for that because he's really got to encourage the cadres to go out to the provinces uh, and get the economy moving.
1: So the loans data helps us feel that we won't see a hard landing.
3: Exactly, and, and I think the key thing is though as well. I mean, we, we will get more information over the next couple of weeks as to where that money is being lent. But I suspect that probably what we will see is they're going to really focus on the sort of new China. Uh, so we're going to look at things like water, pharmaceuticals, healthcare. You know, the things that are really designed about you know driving that domestic. Uh, economy rather than the old historic infrastructure projects.
1: It was interesting in looking at some of the trading in Hong Kong, um, the index didn't reflect in some ways the massive gains in the internet and the mobile games sector. That was really hot yesterday, yet the gaming stocks in Macau, which used to be hot, uh, they turned kind of cold.
3: Well, I think you know, if you look had a very good run there we've had some you know, results coming through you know people like melco that have really kind of indicated that they have been good and i think you know we investors are quite happy to take take a little bit of the, the money off the table and look at you know where do we think the next gains are going to come from and i think that's what's going to be the key really going forward as we go into results season it's it's being mobile and um you know, active in in people's trading, and I think that's what we saw yesterday.
1: You saw one of the headlines in the newspapers this morning uh, in China that uh, that China is considering land reform. Um, is that something that would get your attention if if they do announce something soon?
3: Well. Uh- as they try and develop the market and they're moving away from the the export model to domestic consumption, then land reform has got to be key. I mean, it's, you know, you've got a very agricultural uh, backdrop to the market in China. Now, they want to empower those farmers to really start spending because that's going to be a big driver for domestic consumption going forward. In order to do that, you've got to see land reform coming through. So I think it is a big positive for China going forward.
1: How do you feel, Andrew, about the overall environment at the moment? Uh, it seems that the tapering is underway. The Fed doesn't like to change policy quickly, even though economic reports have weakened here of late, retail sales, industrial production, two jobs reports, all trending uh, to the weak side. Uh, it still looks like the tapering is, is ongoing. Does that affect us in any negative way?
3: Well, I mean, I think I that think the, the, the headline data, as you, you, you've mentioned there, is, is going to remain poor. I mean, this week is probably the, the week that they do the job survey in the U.S., and obviously we've got bad weather there, which is not going to be a good thing at the end of the day. But I think Janet Yellen is taking the long-term view. The key is markets don't react in a normal way when you've got so many central banks doing quantitative easing because it just makes a false environment and I think realistically she wants to get back to a level playing field where you know Good news is good news and bad news is bad news. It's not you know, bad news is good news because the Fed's going to do more. She wants to get it back to where companies react positively to, to the things that are actually affecting the economy.
1: I didn't get a chance to read your note this morning, but just a final question to you. Uh, what are the things that you're looking at the most closely this morning um, that perhaps we haven't talked about yet?
3: Well, I think the key thing today really is you know, we kick off results uh, with Bank of East Asia. Uh, and that's a key one. As you mentioned, we had the good loans data out of uh, China at the weekend. But people will be looking to see how does that actually impact on the banks and that, you know, how they reacted over the last half year. So Bank of East Asia results will be key, and it really kicks off the earnings season. And, and over the next couple of weeks, A, we'll get the earnings, but it also means we'll get more news flow because companies will come out of their blackout periods.
1: Right. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Andrew. Andrew Sullivan is the director of sales trading at Maybank Kimeng Securities and a regular contributor to this program. Good morning to you. 16 minutes after eight o'clock. We thought that with the budget coming up, that it might be a good time to talk uh, overall policy here in Hong Kong and when we might see the stamp duties on uh, property here in the in the territory uh, be relaxed. Uh, It doesn't look like they will be relaxed anytime soon. They have had an impact on this market, not so much in bringing prices down, but definitely in In uh, contributing to prices not continuing to power up higher. We've seen uh, prices maybe trickle down 2 to 3 to 4 percent over the past year. Um, Transactions have dropped rather significantly. To help us understand it, we're joined now by Peter Churchhouse at Asia Hard Assets. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Well, yeah, against this backdrop of, of what we see happening, uh, you know, not much movement in property. It's almost a frozen market at the moment. Is there any chance anytime soon that the government will relax any of these stamp duties, the special stamp duty, the buyer's stamp duty?
2: Well, it, I think as an outsider, you might observe Hong Kong right now and, and suggest that the, this place is being governed increasingly by pressure groups who shout the loudest. Uh, well, there's nobody shouting much against the stamp duties that were imposed uh, starting in 2008. And 10. Uh, so I suspect uh, there's very little pressure on the government to relent on stamp duties. So I, I think it's going to be steady as she goes for the, for the short term. And I expect that it'll, it'll need to see uh, a substantial sort of rise in interest rates or, or even bigger fall in property prices for the government uh, to look at uh, reducing
1: those stamp duties that they've imposed over the last two or three years. Uh, the financial secretary was uh, writing in his blog over the weekend about Singapore. Um, I wonder if he noticed how bad of a start they've got off to in terms of property sales in Singapore and it uh, sounds like you think no. Well I think uh, Singapore's having the same sort of
2: problems as Hong Kong and they've imposed the same kind of <clears throat> restrictions uh, in cooling the property market there. If you actually look around the region many countries have done the same. Korea started uh, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a year or so ago and Taiwan. You've even seen in Malaysia uh, and Indonesia, you've seen countries imposing uh, tightening measures on property markets as uh, this easy money has impacted on uh, uh, on property prices. And I think you're going to see this in Western countries. You're starting to hear rumblings in places like um, like in London, you're even hearing in Germany, prices are rising too fast. The German Central Bank, for example, is saying property prices are up to
1: 20% overvalued in Germany. So easy money is having this impact around the world. I don't mean to speak ill of the policies. I, I hope my questions don't um, lead people to think that, but Was it a blunt instrument in a sense? I mean, they shut down the market. There are no transactions. The transactions in 2013 were the lowest we've had in 20 years. That's that's quite – was was there perhaps a more clever way to have done it? Well, I think that you say it's a
2: blunt instrument, but it was fairly finely tuned in terms of the the various uh, measures aimed at preventing the flippers, if you like, the people who who buy and sell very quickly. And those those stamp duties were finely tuned to do that. I think the blunt instruments, which I I take exception to – uh, is the, the doubling of the uh, ad valorem stamp duty and particularly imposing that on commercial property. You could see the argument for residential, uh, no doubt about that, but I see very little argument for imposing those additional uh, stamp duties on commercial property, industrial property, uh, or non-residential. So that,
1: I think, was a blunt instrument which really wasn't necessary. Let's actually bring in Marcellus Wong now, Senior Advisor at PwC. Uh, Marcellus, good morning. Good morning. Um, the competitiveness of Hong Kong may have been uh, addressed by these um, these stamp duties. Uh, do you think that they have um, affected our competitiveness? Have they hurt us?
4: Um, yes. Uh, land policy and property prices are one of the top concerns of the business environment, apart from uh, citizen ordinary citizens in Hong Kong business, are also very concerned about it. And with high property prices, certainly our competitiveness it is a factor.
1: So the high prices hurt us, but have the measures in any sense um, uh, retarded some local companies uh, from you know buying property because of the um, the stamp duties?
4: Uh, sure, sure. Because uh, pri- prices, if prices are high. Uh, uh, Business people will be reluctant to to make investments because they're taking into account of the of the returns of their of their business uh, venture. I think the solution uh, uh, that 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 is shown by in in our survey to the business executive is that the increase of land supply and the speed up of, of land sales are the are the most uh, uh concern that uh, people want, want, want the government to 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 engage in.
1: And Peter, it looks like there is a lot more supply coming. Do you think that this supply will have a major impact on the market in the next 18 months?
2: Well, absolutely. If you look at um, the long-term history of supply of housing in Hong Kong, is right through the 90s up until the early part of this decade, average production of housing in the private sector was about 24,000 units per, per annum. That number has dropped to around 10,000 per annum. And in fact, even last year, which was supposed to be rising production, actually fell below that figure. Uh, over the next couple of years, we're going to see production picking up to around 15, 16, 17,000 units, uh, which is probably going to coincide uh, precisely with a, a period in which interest rates are going to rise. So you're going to see uh, a rising supply, a rising interest rate environment, uh, which perhaps is going to do the government's job for it. And market forces, in fact, will, will in fact uh, uh, slow that market down. So that's, I think, the outlook over the next couple
1: of years, but we're not there just yet. So with a lot more supply and the potential of higher interest rates and the fact that people will discount uh, nine months out, it seems that you're saying that we will see lower prices Uh, but then on the other side of the equation of course is strong demand there's still people who want to upgrade, there's still a lot of mainland buyers here, there's just generally a lot of interest in buying in Hong Kong for the longer term Uh, does that support prices? Yes, that's
2: exactly what's supporting prices now and and funnily enough, even though we've had all these stamp duties, property prices are only down about 4 or 5% depending on whose index you look at, uh, since all these measures were put in place. But transactions volumes are down, as you mentioned, uh, to below the levels that we saw in the disastrous time of SARS. So we've, we've, uh, the government's had its impact all right, but its, its impact has been to just to stop people buying. The prices haven't fallen very much at all. But I expect there could be a little bit more downside risk going forward over the next uh, year or so. In which case that provides the ammunition for government to lift these stamp duties uh, and uh, cooling measures over the course of the next one to
1: two years. Yeah, great. That was a feed in because that was one of the reasons to set up this interview was what are the sort of conditions that we'll see that you think will encourage the government to adjust that policy? Well, and, will, I, I, and will they just take it out or will it be incremental? And what about the calls from Ledgeco to go to them first? Well, my, my sense here is that um, it's,
2: one of the signals will be rising interest rates uh, because that traditionally in Hong Kong, uh, certainly if it's rising real interest rates against inflation, uh, that's traditionally been a period when you've seen uh, a negative impact on property prices. I think if we do see a substantial fall in prices, as I say, we're down 4 or 5 percent so far. If we see another 10, 15, 20 percent, then I think you're going to see governments starting to make noises about pulling back these. Uh, these cooling measures, and I suspect they'll c-
1: pull them back in phases, not lift the whole lot all in one go. Okay, this is a key question as well. Once they do actually free the market up, do you worry that if there's already downward momentum... Uh, that you have now unblocked the market. You've taken a lot of people who had no incentive to sell and given them a, a reason they, they can sell. Does that almost exacerbate the downward move? Uh, well,
2: at the moment, people can't sell because people aren't buying. If, you, if you're if you looking at a middle-class family looking to buy an 8 or $10 million apartment these days, you've got to have a, nearly a 50% down payment. Who can afford that? Nobody's got that kind of cash lying around. Uh, so I think if they lift those kinds of conditions, uh, controls then you will see a pickup in uh, in transactions volumes and that i think could uh, stabilize any downside movement rather than in fact exacerbate it
1: okay uh thanks very much You can stay with us because i want to talk to marcellus wong now about more generally uh, the budget but uh, feel free to weigh in if uh, something interests you marcellus uh you you've um produced your survey of what you expect uh, what are some of the highlights in your view
4: uh, yes, uh, as I, I, ju- I just mentioned, the, we, we have conducted a survey to uh, over uh, 100 uh, top executives of, of business uh, uh, company uh, companies based in Hong Kong. And the uh, survey uh, is about uh, their view on the business uh, uh, future and the economic uh, development how in do Hong they f- Kong. How do they yeah. feel
1: about, uh, say, the next year or two here?
4: Well, they are they are most concerned about the business environment and the competitiveness, as, as you mentioned, because they they feel that uh, we seem to have uh, be lacking behind among our competitors, as you just mentioned. Singapore is one, uh, and 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 the, 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 and and also the development in in China in Mainland about the uh, uh, the free say the free songs in Shanghai, Shenzhen, uh, Guangdong. Uh, so so how hong kong 's policy will uh, will integrate with with all these uh, uh, development is a concern do
1: they want support from government or do they want the lack of intervention uh,
4: they I, I think on the one hand they 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 want to be uh, 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 have more opportunities in in, in these uh, uh, new areas uh, uh, I think uh, what they want is new
1: opportunities in the free trade zone. In the free trade zone, that's not something the Hong Kong government can necessarily
4: uh, do. It seems the government is quite uh, uh, reactive or 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 passive in it. It is all led by China, and how Hong Kong's role uh, is is going to be in 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 these new opportunities is still unknown to many of the business people.
1: Wouldn't that be normal to expect? Though it's China's jurisdiction that they would set the rules for Hong Kong companies to come in.
4: Yeah, and then and then the the question is how our tax system, for example, is going to cope with them if they're if they're giving uh, uh, tax incentives in those zones and and, and whether. Uh, uh, Hong Kong will be able to provide the same and, and have a similar policy to, to, uh, uh, to, do, to do those business in, in, in those new, new areas.
1: In terms of the overall picture, the surplus versus deficit, the outturn, are you predicting a large surplus for the Hong Kong government?
4: Uh, I for think for the last year, yeah, as compared to last year, last year Hong Kong had uh, uh, 65 billion uh, surplus, uh, partly due to the uh, uh, satisfactory result from land sales and also profits tax. I think for this year, uh, as the the, the government. Uh, has also put on a lot of land uh, for sale this year. I think the revenue is going to, to be increased for another year. But on the, on the other hand, because of the land sale, property transactions has dropped. The stamp duties from uh, collection, from, from land sales or from property Sales will, will, will be. But it's likely uh, we'll have a,
1: a large surplus again, is what you're saying. Uh, so, so let me ask you, as a non politician, somebody who is, is apparently more neutral, are we overtaxing or are we underspending?
4: Uh, well, this is uh, a very complex question. It's a political question, <laughs> I guess.
1: I mean, the the financial secretary seems to think that, you know, the welfare expenses are going to go up. And he hears the loud voices that Peter referred to uh, the special interest groups asking for more welfare spending. So he's already hinted that the giveaways uh, – the suites are not going to be as great as in the past, even though we have a huge surplus. So either we're taking in too much tax, we could perhaps lower corporate income taxes, or um, somehow we could lower the you know the profits tax. There's a lot of adjustments he could make in there that would make it easier for companies, or he could even lower individual income taxes.
4: Yes, that, that's for sure. Uh, 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 as, as we we see, Hong Kong currently is in a quite healthy financial position because we have over 700 billion uh, fiscal reserves and we are also predicting a, a surplus. As though it's not big as last year, it's a, it's a surplus of about 20 billion. Uh, and, and that makes us in a good position to... to uh, To reduce some taxes, particularly for the lower – for the middle-income class as I think the welfare uh, expenses and also subsidy for low-income people as announced by CY in his policy speech. I think uh, uh, there should be a balance uh, as we see from uh, middle-class people. They cry out. Okay. Balance is good.
1: Peter, final question to you. Uh, um, You know, there's a light call there for slightly lower taxes. What do you think? Are we we, uh, over – Uh, Are we overtaxing or underspending? Well, my sense here is we're doing a bit of both. We
2: could certainly cut afford to cut taxes in certain areas, but the the overriding thing is keep the tax simple, the tax regime simple. Don't complicate it; just keep it simple. That's what makes Hong Kong a fantastic place to be. Secondly, uh, I think we should be looking at uh, creating a sovereign something like a sovereign wealth fund, for example, which can uh, fund the long-term welfare and long-term pension uh, schemes in Hong Kong for the for the uh, lower income people. So it's self-sustaining. It's creating okay. income. It's self-sustaining,
1: rather than give $6,000 handouts to everybody. Okay, you've received your award, and the music now tells you it's time to get off the stage. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter Churchhouse, Asia Hard Assets, Marcellus Wong, Senior Advisor at PwC. Markets are higher, especially the Nikkei, 169 points up, just some modest gains elsewhere in the region. So the weather today, you'll notice that it's going to be uh, probably the mildest day that we've had in the past uh, couple of weeks, 23 degrees as the maximum. It will be Humid, though. Foggy in the morning and at night. Warm with lots of sunshine, but then it cools down rather dramatically tomorrow. Temperatures moving about 10 degrees lower. The news now. Here's Etienne Lamy-Smith. A United Nations panel has accused North Korea of crimes
0: against humanity and warned the country's leader, Kim Jong-un, that he could be held personally accountable. Investigators accused North Korea of systematic extermination, torture and rape. The chairman of the Independent Commission of Inquiry, Michael Kirby, drew parallels to atrocities committed by the Nazis.
3: One of the witnesses in one of the camps told of how his duties included gathering up the bodies of those who had died of starvation and putting them in a pot and burning them and then taking the ashes and then burying that in nearby fields where it proved to be very good fertilizer. It does bring